0: For those of you who do earned media or have done it at some point during your career, you know that not every interview your executives or clients give sees the light of day. It's one of the most frustrating parts of a communicator's job. We have no control over that, and yet, if it doesn't air, publish, run, it's somehow our fault. And no one is immune. Even when you have a fantastic relationship with the journalist, blogger, influencer, podcaster, or vlogger. Take, for instance, the company that, I don't know, produces your organization's podcast. Hypothetically speaking, let's call them one stone creative. And let's say one stone, marching to their podcast drum, asks you to be on their soon-to-be-launched podcast. You willingly accept, after all... These are the podcast experts, and it'll be exciting to see how it all comes together. You also might learn a thing or two for your own podcast. So you do the interview, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait some more. About a year later, said podcast hasn't been launched, and your interview has not yet seen the light of day. Never fear, my friends, if your relationship is good, and let's just say it is because it's with one of the founders of the podcast production company you use, you can repurpose said interview. And that is what I'm going to do today. Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative and I discuss content creation, the Paisal model, and more. Without further ado. If you're a communications pro who works hard, doesn't compromise quality, and gets the job done, welcome home. We'll share our tips, tricks, and stories, and together we will change the face of PR. Spin sucks, but we don't. Ginny, hello, thank you so much for joining me today, how are you? Ah, It's my pleasure, I'm great, how are you? Very well, glad you were able to take the time today, and I would love to get started. If you could, for folks who are listening, kind of give us a little bit of a rundown of how your business works and the different elements uh, that are in it, because you're an author, you're a blogger, you're a podcaster, you've got a lot going on. How is that all organized? Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, I have a lot of help. (laughs) You know, during the recession we got pummeled. I mean just pummeled and almost had to go out of business and I had a conversation with the attorney about bankruptcy and it was awful. And at that time, so when we survived it and came out the other end, I said to myself I never want to go through that again. I mean it was awful. And I read somewhere, I can't even remember where, that you should have seven or eight streams of revenue. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I thought, okay, this needs to be a focus. And yeah. 10 years later, we're there. We're adding our ninth stream in a couple of weeks, which is exciting. That's exciting. But yeah, awesome. I mean, I've written two books. We have the podcast, thanks to you and Audra, which is amazing, because I don't have to really do anything except <laughs> blog, which is awesome. It's our specialty. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you're great at it. Of course, the blog, which is the sort of foundation for everything that we've mm-hmm. done. And then we have the PR firm, plus we are also doing some online training for PR professionals. So there's a lot in there, you're right. Oh, so one things we getting started, like when the recession hit and it was horrible and terrifying, what did you have then? And what was the first thing you added when that happened? Then we only had client services, so we only yep. had the platform and that's all we did. And the big thing that happened, which is always the first thing that happens, is marketing, communications, advertising is the first thing to go. Yeah. So I never wanted to be in a situation where we were fully reliant on clients again. Yeah. Because that it probably is gonna happen again in the next twelve to eighteen months, maybe even sooner. Megan looks at her income streams and is i know to- when, when you were starting and maybe you could get on that. I mean, it's terrifying. So I think the first thing I added, I think I added speaking first and then marketing in the round came second. When marketing yep. in the round was published, that afforded not only more speaking, but a higher speaking fee. And then when Spence Lux came out, I was able to then again increase my speaking fee. So it sort of has increased from there. And then in 2011, we launched spin Pro, which was... A very, 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 very early version of online training mm-hmm. that did not do well at all. So we sort of licked our wounds, and learned from that, and we've got something more formal in 2015. Very cool. I mean, no one's first course launch goes very well. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> but, but nobody was doing it back then. Well, yeah, no it was still like Wild West days of. Yeah, what there was, was no learning. learning management system that you could add to your. Like no one was doing it, so mm-hmm. it was very bad. What do you think, now that everyone's doing online learning, do you think it's still viable? Is it still a thing that people should do? I do. And I think that in our world, it feels like everybody's doing it, but Mm -hmm. out there in the world, nobody's doing it. And especially, I mean, I'm lucky that we're niched in PR because nobody's doing it in PR. I mean, you have PRSA, which has stuff for their members, but not necessarily for anybody else. It's pretty tactical, what they're doing. And, you know, there's a couple of other places, I think, that are doing it agency-wide, but not necessarily just for communications. So it feels like everybody's doing it, but I think if you find your right niche. I will repeat to you what my mother said to me when Marketing in the Round came out. And she was like, wow, Jen, this is a really big deal. I'm so proud of you. You've written a book. And I was like, eh, it's not really that big of a deal. Everybody writes a book. And she goes, maybe in your world they do, Because out there in the real world, nobody writes books. And I was like, oh that's a really good perspective that's nice yeah that's lovely yeah okay so i know one of the tools that you use a lot to use it for our clients and for writing for work for making decisions about kind of the content for your empire is the peso model mm-hmm. so yeah. could you really quickly run through the peso model so the peso model is <laughs> i wish it were so like strategic really well thought out we're gonna to go to the communications industry and then it's gonna become this thing and then it's gonna to go to marketing. Like, I wish it had been that well put out. But the truth of the matter is, is that when I was figuring out our income streams and what we needed to add and how that was all going to work, mm-hmm. I read, read Build to Sell. Mm-hmm. one of the things that they say, if you've not read Build to Sell, it's a great book and I really like it for our industry because it falls an ad agency owner through, mm-hmm. you know, doing the work and having clients doing ads and then taking them to the client and the client's like, yeah, I don't really like that car. Can you change it to blue? And you're like, (laughs) (laughs) so it follows that whole thing. You know know what I'm talking about, right? Like it follows that whole process and then it takes that and says, okay, what is it that you do really, really well? And how can you create process out of that? Mm -hmm. So it becomes an organization that's for lack of a better term, you have a recipe around process around so that you can, sell it eventually. Yeah. And while my goal is not to sell the business, my goal was to create something that we could replicate and that clients weren't so reliant on me for everything, but that I That's could, yeah, that I could teach my team how to use the process that I used mm-hmm. daily and that clients would have the same, if not better, service from my team. And so we started using the PASO model internally, but of course we didn't call it that. We were doing social when we were doing content and we were doing blogging we were one of the very first agencies to offer blogging to clients and we were doing paid from a social perspective. So we were doing all of that stuff, but we hadn't really combined it into something thoughtful. So I read that book and I was like, okay, we all sat in front of a whiteboard at work and we were like, okay, this is back the first when we had an office, so we're virtual now, but how does this all work? And what we learned is that we had media relations, we had content, we had social media and we had, Advertising, but not Super Bowl ads, but advertising online kind of stuff. And when you brought it all together, how it built authority. And as it turns out, like media relations and content and social and advertising doesn't have a good acronym. (laughs) (laughs) We were trying to figure out, was there a good acronym that we could Mm -hmm. do? And people were talking about earned and owned media, but not necessarily shared or paid. And so we brought it all together and then we... But it's funny because people will say to me, "Well, why is paid media first? It's not the most important." And I'm like, "Because it's easier to remember." <laughs> That's how you pronounce words in English. <laughs> if you we were to put it in order of importance, I would say it would be owned, then earned, then shared, and then paid. But a, I have to actually think about it, right? Yeah. O e o e s p o o s i. Well, that sounds like an international trade region. Right. Yeah. You can't remember that. So paid is first because you can remember paid so. (laughs) Perfect. So we just kind of went through which ones are the most important. Do you have a favorite to work on of paid media, earned, owned, and shared? Yeah, I would say, I mean, owned is probably my my love because, (laughs) I mean, I love content and you guys got me into podcasting a year ago. And so I love that piece of it. And I love anecdotally having people say, I can go to the blog and I can read or I can watch videos or I can listen to your mm-hmm. podcast. So I love having all that together. But I'll tell you what, we started doing Facebook advertising specifically a little more than a year ago. Mm-hmm. It has been incredible yeah. in driving results. Like, we know that if we spend about $45, we will make $10,000. <laughs> <laughs> what? We are like... That can't be real. <laughs> really? So, from that perspective, I really, really love Facebook advertising. That's fair. <laughs> I like money. <laughs> Just to get into that a little bit, I don't. You don't need to share all of your secrets. But how long did it take to go from we should do Facebook advertising to we have an amazing return on this fantastic channel? I would say it was probably not quite two years, maybe twenty or twenty months. Yeah, close, almost two years. So you still got to put in the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, you have to test floor, and There are sometimes you may as well just light a match to your money because you're like, okay, that didn't yeah. work. So you have to be willing to do that. And I think the challenge with it is most organizations, most business leaders are not willing to do that.
1: But That's if you want that kind of ROI, you
0: have to. You have to do it. Yeah. It's similar in a way with podcasting. We do that for so much. And we really just need you know, podcasting is a long game. Yeah. You yeah, you do it for a long time where like those like relationships come to you and for you know sponsors. Yeah. Like it takes time. Yeah. yeah, It takes a lot of time. Well, it does with content in general. Yeah, it takes a lot of time. perfect. So when someone's starting out a new project, do you have like a rule of thumb for the, like for blogging? How long until you maybe see something out of it? Based on how long you maybe see something out of it, are there rules of thumb? You know, I would say there used to be when it was pretty new that it would take. Yeah. We knew yeah. that if you blogged three times a week, you would start to see results in about six months. But yeah think today there's so much out there that it's less about quantity and more about quality and in some cases it might take 30 days and in some cases it might take two years it just depends and I think that as an answer it depends but it really depends yeah so if someone is kind of starting out, and they've got a service business yeah they're doing client services but they haven't yet started content if they were your client how would you recommend they start thinking about like what should they Jump into first when it comes to creating content for their business? I would say do what you're most comfortable with because it's easy for me to say, oh, you should blog because sex has been like major for us. Yeah. But I also love to write yeah. and I love to read. So it's something that's been very, very valuable for us from that perspective. But if you're more comfortable, you know, recording yourself on audio, then do podcasting. If you're comfortable in front of a camera, do video. I would say, start where you're comfortable because it's going to be far easier for you to stay motivated and get it done mm-hmm. than as you try to say, oh, I better write three blog posts this week. Like, that's not for everybody and that's okay. Yeah. Kind of at what point in the process do you figure out when something is working or not? Or like when you take on a new content project, how do you figure out, okay, if we get to X, this is good. If we get to Y, it's bad. Do you kind of plan out metrics that you want to achieve for new projects or new content? For space? sure. So we benchmark everything and we say, okay, this is where we are right now. And then we take between six and eight weeks to sort of figure out where it might net out and then yes. we set goals. So for instance, at the end of last year, we went through and we said, Okay, here's what we did this year. Like we know, like I said, if we spend forty five dollars on Facebook ads, we'll make ten thousand. So we know that. So if we want to get to X in revenue, here's how much we have to spend. Mm-hmm. So it was really hard to be able to say that before probably September or October of last year. And then we were able to start to build from there. So that first year and a half, it was really about testing to see what worked and what didn't and where our benchmarks were and were we progressing and if not, what needed to change. You're not the only writer for Spin Sucks. You know, you've got Mike and Laura, they write and I think and you accept guest posts as well. So How does that work? Do you feel like, is there a unified voice or kind of a standard people need to keep to or a tone they need to keep to? How do different people write for one brand? So our vision for SpinSucks is to change the perception that people have in the PR industry. Mm -hmm. And to do that, we know that we have to help advance the profession and help professionals stay ahead of trends and keep their careers advanced in those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So the number one rule it, with content is doesn't do that. So yeah. does it help us strive toward that vision? And if the answer is no, then we don't accept the content. And if the answer is yes, then yeah, there are definite guidelines. We found in 2018 that we spent a little too much time being writing coaches for our guest authors. Oh, yeah. So we had to stop doing that. And the edict coming from the top, which is me, so I can be the bad guy, is if the content isn't up snuff, you have to rewrite it. We're not going to coach you through it. And if you want to have it appear here, which does a lot of great things for you, if you awareness and love, valuable feedback and, and all those kind of things, then you have to write to our standards and we're not going to coach you through how to do that. I think that's really reasonable. I mean, like about online courses, you know, six or seven years ago, it was fine for a lot of coaching to happen. Everyone was newer at it than they right. had the, right. this far into the industry's growth. Yeah, be working at a certain level. Yes, for sure. Perfect. So you've got two books: Marketing in the Round and Spin Sucks. Did you wake up one morning and think I should have a book? Did you sit down with an outline? Were people asking you for it? Kind of what made you decide, hey, I should have books now? So kind of a combination of all of that. Mm-hmm. When I, I graduated from college and I went to work in PR, and my dad was like, "Why aren't you doing something where you write? Like that seemed like what you're thing." Because I've always wanted to write. I have always wanted to write books. Fiction, not business, but fiction will come later. Um, And then when we started blogging and, you know, that started to take hold, he goes, oh, okay, you're there. It just took a little while. So, actually, marketing in the round fell in my lap. So, I knew that I wanted to write a book, and I thought that would be been sucks. But marketing in the round fell in my lap because Jeff Livingston, who was my co-author, was looking for somebody who had the PR angle, Mm -hmm. and the publisher, just happened upon Ups and liked the kind of snarky uh, way I write <laughs> and asked me if I would be interested. And so, you know, we had to, we had to submit a proposal and we had to do a table of contents and kind of think th- that through. And then, you know, working together to write the book was a little bit challenging because you have to bring, you have to unify the voice, right? Yeah. It's, it has to be seamless, like it's one voice. So that fell in my lap, and then when that was so successful, I went back to the publisher and said, "You know, the book I've always really wanted to write has been sucks." And she was like, "Do it, nice. So I wrote the proposal, and you know, went through the same process because I'd already done it. And thankfully, I'd done it with somebody who had, who had experience the first time around, mm-hmm. so I kind of learned all those pieces. I got it approved really fast. In fact, it was six years ago, almost to the day that it was that I signed the contract. So. Oh. Happy book anniversary. Yeah. (laughs) And you were also able to really leverage both books into, you mentioned before, you know better Mm -hmm. speaking. Have you been able to leverage being an author of those books in other ways, and kind of what does that look like? I think it adds credibility for clients, for sure, Mm -hmm. which I find pretty interesting because business leaders, the people that you're working with on the PR firm side and things definitely are still old school. Like, yeah, hold your your hard-bound copy, Book and they can keep it on their desk. Like you are an expert, you have credibility, yeah. which I think is kind of funny. Yeah, so that's definitely helped there. I've only had one one situation on the sales like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you have a book, and so you can go in into a new business meeting with with a prospect, and you can have yeah, signed the book for them and leave it as your lead behind, right? And so I went to a meeting, and I met with the CEO and the chief marketing officer, and the chief marketing officer and I were like talking along, and I mean. She was perfect, ideal client, would love to work with her, and there was something about the CEO that I was just like, there's something wrong here, Mm -hmm. but I really like the chief marketing officer. She'd be our day-to-day client, so I think I can overlook this. So at the end of the meeting, I handed both of them a book, and I had signed it personally to both of them, like, you know, to her, one to her, and then one to him. He didn't even take it from my hands. He said, he looked at me, he looked at the book, he looked at me again, and he said, I don't really read books, so take it home. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and like, there's nothing I can do with the book now. Like, no. <laughs> so I really, I went back to the office and I thought about it, and then I told my team, and I'm like, yeah, that's a major red flag. I ended up calling the woman and saying, I really love you, but there's something there that I don't think we're going to be successful, in, and I think that we shouldn't do business together. Yeah. And she was like, I feel like we're breaking up, and I'm like, <laughs> no. But it was just such a major red flag, like. Why would you do that? Like, even if you're not going to read it, just accept it. Yeah, just be polite. Great. Right. <laughs> yeah, didn't we all, like, learn that when we're, we're kids and you get socks for your birthday and you still say like, thank you very much? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and you're like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, that's my, probably a good miss there. But, yeah, I mean, I, it definitely gives you credibility that I think you don't necessarily have with bigger organizations where the see you. Places credence in for a published author. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't have books yet, would you go ahead and write them now? I think I would answer that two ways. the mm-hmm. first way, if it's me personally, yes. Mm-hmm. If it's a client that we're advising, I would say no. I don't think it adds the same credibility that it did 10 years ago or mm-hmm. before that. You certainly can self- publish and have the same effects. Yeah. Because you can have it hardbound and all this kind of, and make make it look like a published book. I wouldn't necessarily go through that same process. Mm-hmm. But I think it also depends on your goals. You know, if you want to be a keynote speaker and get paid twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars for a keynote speech, you have to have a book. A lot of people would like that. <laughs> <laughs> a book is yeah. good. But you also are gonna spend forty days a month on the road. Which I know they're not forty days a month but it feels like that. I mean, you spend a lot of time on the road. Mm -hmm. There's pros and cons to it. So it depends on your goals. And certainly if you don't like to write, then no. You don't need a book. Make a YouTube channel. Yes, or do a podcast network. You know, there's a lot of opportunity there, but you don't necessarily need to write a book. Perfect, so just one last little question. And what content-oriented project are you most looking forward to in the next little while? Hmm. Well, we're launching a second program for agency owners in the next couple of weeks. So we've been working on that for a few months. So I'm excited about that. But I actually am really excited for our CMO to start. We also have a content director starting about the same time. So our content team is going to be the biggest team. Oh, wow. Um, It's been sucks, which is awesome. Uh, But to your point, we'll see how I deal with it. (laughs) I'm both excited and terrified. (laughs) I'm really excited to see what happens over the next couple of months. Yeah. Because it's been a minute or almost a year since this was recorded, I wanted to share some updates from the initial conversation. First, Facebook ads. Gloria's Facebook ads. Unfortunately, or fortunately, they're still incredibly effective, more so than any other social media platform, including Google. At the same time, Mailchimp just released a study that shows if you expect Facebook to get more cost-effective or if you expect it to work organically at all in 2020, you need to realign your expectations. Facebook will become a sole paid-for platform, which isn't really surprising, but this means it's going to cost even more next year than it did this year. This stresses me out. I know to the penny how much it costs in Facebook ads to close a new client. I mean, to the penny! I anticipate those costs to increase significantly next year, and then I'm going to have to refigure the the to-the-penny calculation again. But it's also forced us to look at other conversion methods. The aforementioned MailChimp study shows that the average click rate for email in 2019 was 2.62%, or 1,069 times greater than engagement on Facebook. While it's not apples to apples behaviorally, someone seeing your email and clicking on anything in it is 1,069 times more likely than someone seeing your Facebook post and clicking on anything in it. 1,069 times more. Plus, email is free. Well, not free-free, but you don't have to spend six figures on emails to get engagement and conversions like you do on social media. Now, when Megan and I talked, we had just launched Agency Jumpstart an eight-week program that teaches agency owners how to build the processes that allow them to reach their goals, income, lifestyle, and community. It is hands down one of my most favorite things to do. Our agency owner clients are progressive, smart, forward-thinking, willing to take risks, and completely coachable, which is very important. Very, very important. We've seen all sorts of success with this program. Agency owners are making money, They're exceeding their goals, they're building confidence they didn't know they had, and they're launching new products and services. Plus, it's an absolute joy to show up weekly to the group coaching calls and watch how they support one another, build each other up, and find ways to work together. We love, 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 love doing that work with them. And the last thing we discussed was hiring a chief marketing officer. Whew, this has been a rough one for me. Not only is marketing my expertise, it's my first love. So handing it all over to someone else, no matter how capable they are, has been a real challenge for me. We've since made some internal shifts. We hired Martin Waxman as our Chief Marketing Officer earlier this year, and he has since moved to Special Advisor to help with some things specific to the PESO model for next year, which you'll hear about more later. And Laura Petrolino has shifted her role into Chief Marketing Officer. For those of you who know Laura and me together, you know this is a very good thing. She can read my mind and finish my sentences, but it's still a real challenge for me. This is going to be a good area for growth for me for 2020. I can give up control. I can do it. This has been a lot of fun and a good use of an otherwise unaired interview. If you're not already hanging out with us in the free Spinslex community, get the over there. You can apply for acceptance at spinflexcom slash spin hyphen sucks, hyphen community. That's spinsucks.com slash spin, hyphen sucks, hyphen community. And with that, I bid you a very happy new year. Let's kick 2020 in the butt. If you're ready to change the face of PR, make sure you subscribe to the Spin Sucks podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating and a review.